the screen is talking. Nick Quint, Carl Ohoff, Will Craig, all in the house. What's up, guys? How you doing? Good, good. Well, no Serrano juice on me, so I'm doing great. <laughs> What's up, everyone? Thank you for joining. I ran out of salsa, so I'm not doing too hot. Sadly. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for joining us here in Apologetics today, wherever you may be, however you may be joining us. Thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, this show is brought to you by you with your support at patreon.com slash it here in Apologetics. But with that out of the way, uh, today we're going to be talking about a really important issue, especially that's come up recently among people who are in our generation, with the exception of Nick. Nick's a millennial, so, you know, we'll just take his words with a grain of salt. Just kidding. Um, but we're going to be talking about mental health, Gen Z, the church, things like that. So we're going to just kind of have like an open panel discussion. We have a few questions. And if you guys have uh, some questions or some thoughts, be sure to leave them in the live chat and we'll get to them at the end. So briefly, before we get into the questions, if everyone wants to take 30 seconds to a minute and just give a quick introduction and say who you are, what you do, uh, we'll start with Carl and just kind of go counterclockwise. Oh, um, hi, I'm Carl. I don't do that much but I make funny videos on TikTok and talk about apologetics quite a bit. That's kind of my shtick. My niche is entertainment and a little bit of intellectualism. So I've struggled quite profoundly with mental health in the past. I'm diagnosed with depression and ADHD and yeah. Yeah, my name is Will Craig. I am a graduate student. I'm getting a PhD in mathematics at the University of Virginia at the moment. Um, I have struggles with mental health both from before and after. I would consider myself a Christian. I have um, some, I'll just leave it at emotional abuse in the past that has, that led to I was never formally diagnosed with either depression or PTSD, but I had a very large number of the symptoms of both of those, although I'm not sure whether I really had them or not. And I was also diagnosed with ADHD as a child, so I have struggled with that my entire life as well. Yeah, I'm uh, Nick Quint. I'm a uh, millennial pastor, a uh, hectic podcaster, and occasional author of things. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's weird. I'm thinking back now, I'm trying to remember if I was actually diagnosed with depression. Uh, let's say no, because I, I, at least not formally diagnosed. Uh, everyone I know, basically, when I describe the stuff, I was like, yeah, that's depression plus anxiety plus all the other stuff. So, uh, yeah, I've had that, and then it goes way back as long as I can remember, and my memory's not that great. So, uh, yeah, it's something I, uh, I'm seeking counseling for and dealing with as it, as it goes. Got to remember to unmute. Uh, welcome everyone who's joining us, Natasha, Andrea, Lindsay, Ramon the Large, everyone who's joining us live. Uh, so in case you guys don't know who I am, I'm Zach. Uh, I haven't had, I've had very mild depression for a very short period of my life, but I've also struggled with anxiety for large portions of my life. Um, so, but we're going to just talk a little bit to start off. Just everyone's going to talk a little bit about their stories, um, kind of go in a little bit more detail. Obviously for you guys, you don't have to like, give details you don't want to give but if you could just talk a little bit about like growing up and living your life like what was kind of your journey with mental health what did it, if you could give it just in a few minutes what what's the story uh so we'll start with carl whenever you're ready you're on mute carl 
that is true. So my story is that I come from a very medically a savvy family, you know, dad, mom, they're both in the medical field. So as soon as I started showing symptoms of mental health problems, they immediately got me into an, a psychiatrist and I am currently medicated for ADHD and depression. So my struggles with mental health were mostly in dealing with the theological issues between should I be medicated, should I not be medicated? And trying to balance worldly treatment with an all-powerful God that designed me in a specific way through a fallen world and coming to the conclusion that yes, treatment is like worldly treatment is certainly a very viable option and stuff like that. I, yeah. That's about it. It's on to you, Will, whenever you're ready or if you have stuff to say. Yeah, so for me, there are kind of two different strands because the sources of the various things I talked about are different. So um, the ADHD is something I've had my whole life. I was diagnosed pretty young. I don't know exactly how old, but I was probably about seven or so when I was diagnosed. It used to be, it would be so bad that like, my mom could literally call my name like 12 times from within the same room as me. And I just didn't like, you know, I just didn't click. I didn't realize I was supposed to respond for whatever reason. Who knows what was going on there. Uh, and I've also been medicated since around that age, a fairly s small dose, but nonetheless uh, have been, have been taking medicine. And as an adult, uh, just as Carl was kind of talking about, I don't see any issue with taking the medication from a, from a faith perspective. Um, the other things are, uh, I don't think they're genetic or biological or whatever. I think it's more, um, I don't want to say too much because it involves another person and I don't want to, you know, say anything bad about anybody, but I, uh, went through some pretty severe emotional abuse that led to an extremely low view of myself, um, I used to, just to give people kind of an idea, uh, as a mathematician, the way I would maybe phrase it in my own language would be that someone telling me they loved me sounded like someone trying to convince me that two plus two was five. It just didn't, it didn't seem even possible. It made absolutely no sense. Um, I also used to have uh, flashbacks to some of the um, bad, some of the worst instances of uh, some of memories. Uh, I once had one that was, uh, I couldn't move for about 45 or 50 minutes, or at least I couldn't control. I was kind of curled up in a ball and shaking and I couldn't really like stop doing any of that. Uh, they usually weren't that bad, but usually it's more mentally. I can't, you know, I, even if I want to stop thinking about whatever it is, I just can't stop thinking about it. And it, uh, can kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so for me, um, there is, uh, I suspect, childhood trauma involved. Uh, I say that because I can't remember much of my childhood up until about the age of seven or eight. Uh, if I do, it's usually negative. Uh, I, I, 
having mentioned, I'm not, I don't recall if I've been formally diagnosed uh, in COVID, especially when you're a pastor and now a new dad, you kind of lose track of time and things like that. So what I noticed was in getting, starting to get therapy and going to see people, I've only been doing that for the past maybe six months um, and all of that. And so it's still early in the process of kind of parsing that through. What do I think of it? And as, as Carl mentioned earlier, dealing with kind of the theological aspects of what this kind of entails, what does uh, being uh, struggling with mental illness imply and all of that? Uh, what does this say about the character of God? Uh, I mean, in some very insignificant way, the problem of evil and theodicy and soul formation and all of that. Um, and so for me, I mean, even the question of one thing I, I was sitting here thinking, listening to Carl talk was, uh, to what extent is depression and anxiety and all of that uh, going to be with us in new creation, you know, post-resurrection and all of that? What is, how does that look like? And I mean, you could say that with any sort of physical infirmity, disability, you know, stuff like that. But um, it's not, for me, it's not a, uh, uh, it's not a settled question or a settled thing. And I think that's kind of the point of the Christian faith is, or at least the Christian life is not to know exactly how everything works in a mechanistic standpoint, but to know that there is a way through all of this. And I don't know, I, I take great comfort in the, uh, the prologue of John's gospel that the, the word became flesh and the word, you know, the light came into the world and did all these great things and the darkness can overpower or suppress it. And so, um, yeah, just having had this basically my entire life, I've not known a single instance or time when I wasn't depressed. That, of course, doesn't mean that I haven't you know, always felt it, but I always, looking back, known that it is there. And so now as, as a millennial, I'm now 33, uh, beginning the process of figuring that out is, well, it's very fresh and new in a good way, I think. Uh, one thing I want to say as we, we go keep going is I uh, appreciate these guys, everyone's bravery here and courage for talking. It's not easy to talk about, um, especially for guys in the study show. Some of the well, I, I don't know about you, Zach, but I have brave tattooed on my arm. So <laughs> okay, well, I guess Carl and Will are brave, and Nick is just has a tattoo. Nick on. is just pretentious. <laughs> Nick is just pretentious. Uh, but for Carl and Will, <laughs> then, um, appreciate you guys' bravery and talking. One thing I want to talk about here is kind of like some of the influences that you think can kind of be the causes of uh, depression and anxiety, because obviously part of it, I think, is genetic in this sense. Um, people can be wired in certain ways, but I also think that we live in such different times than any culture uh, before us. Like I know for like me with anxiety, one of the things that is, I've read studies on this that, are, that is causing anxiety is social media, just like it's almost a brainwashing tool where for people like us, we've grown up in this kind of environment since we're in sixth grade and we just have access to seeing photos of people living their best life. And uh, it can be a cause of a lot of mental health issues. So I'd love for you guys to talk kind of like, what do you think are some of the outside factors that you think could have contributed to some of your struggles? And as always, don't feel pressure to say stuff that you don't feel comfortable sh sharing on the internet. So, yeah. Okay, well, I'll start off. I think family is obviously the most formative portion of any childhood, and uh, a skew family dynamic will inherently lead to problems later on in life. It's just, apart from the grace of God, as family is the most influential parts of our lives. So, 
in a sense, having a disconnected family, family that didn't communicate much, a family that was more focused on jobs and what they could do than it, it was seemingly on building relationships with one another. I can say that that has definitely encouraged a state of depression. It is definitely not the cause of depression. It does, I don't, I don't, I'd be difficult. Actually, I won't say that. We'll say that definitely environmental factors can cause mental illness, but they enhance it in in profound ways. Um, I know well, for me personally. I mean, yeah, I mean, like PTSD is by definition primarily caused by something environmental. Though yeah. you can, though you can yeah. be prone to it. You can be prone to it dramatically, yeah. but by definition, something traumatic has to happen to you before you can have PTSD. Absolutely. There's at least that one. Mm -hmm. The other ones, I don't know. Yeah. See, but I, I don't I don't know about you, but my birth was pretty traumatic for me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I can definitely say I, that I realize uh, I had a terrible joke because of a disjointed family. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh, the Armenian focused on being good. Uh, so at least for me, a disjointed family. <laughs> I can't even. Oh. All right, I'm out. See y'all. And there's a millennial part of him. There's the millennial part of him. Can't even. Yeah, guys. All right. I'm 24. I'm on the border. I can, okay. I can negotiate between the Gen Z. And sorry, them. Carl. Please continue. I'm sorry. No, it's not a problem, Carl. So a disjointed family. Uh, family wasn't focused on, very much on relationships with one another. Led me to try and find value in worldly things. It led me to try and entertain myself in different ways. And I found that in video games, which has, which is the thing that certainly has increased my, um, the effect of ADD in my life, ADHD in my life. And I can say that with absolute certainty that if I had not played eight hours of video games a day when I was from the ages of 10 to 13, then I would not be as unfocused as I am today. So yeah, also a lack of biblical foundation in the family. That was never an actual portion of my family. So, and that certainly would have helped those things as well. So that's, that's just my two cents or 10 cents since I talked for like five minutes. Do you think, um, Carl, uh, not to cut you off, Will, um, uh, do you think there's because in, in, in Christian thought, shame is not necessarily a bad thing, right? Shame can be, can tell you something's wrong, for example. You know, it's like having a nerve mm -hmm. inflamed. It tells you something is, is up. Um, yeah. You think maybe in, in Christian circles, and I'm speaking kind of broadly on that, do you think there is a sense in which a, uh, a, a, a malnourished or a deformed view of shame can contribute to kind of what you were talking about. Not to you personally per se. I'm not putting you on the spot, but do you think hmm. a, a deformed view of what shame, guilt, those sorts of things, do you think that might kind of be a, another contributing factor? Absol absolutely. Like you talked about the inflamed nerve. If you don't understand what pain is and the purpose of pain, all you're going to do is just pop advil to, so the pain goes away but you're not actually going to treat what's genuinely hurting you so certainly that's definitely a 
that's definitely something that needs to be corrected in the modern church. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I've noticed with the church, at least w the one I grew up in, and I, I can't speak for you, I grew up in Calvary Chapel, which uh, for those who don't know is kind of Pentecostal light plus dispensationalism plus uh, really legalistic view on everything, you know, drugs or not even drugs, drinking, movies, music, like listening to, I don't know if you guys are probably too young, POD, do you remember POD? Nah. I'm showing my age. Uh, P.O.D. was like a heavy metal Christian band that was really popular. Uh, they did that song, uh, uh, Youth of the Nation, Alive. You know, I feel so alive. Yeah, great, great, great stuff. But um, there was a huge debate in my church whether or not a Christian should listen to that kind of music. So that tells you what kind of background I come out of. And so there is a sense in which I've noticed um, churches being a place of positive formation Let's take the issue of pornography, for example, right? That'll, you know, especially for young men, that'll really um, bump up the shame and guilt component, as Carl and I briefly talked about. Um, but without a, a robust view of what it means to be human, and by that I mean uh, a way to understand the feelings of guilt and shame when you do mess up, for example, can lead you further and further into that kind of spiral. For Carl, you know, you mentioned video games. It's It's very easy to kind of get that tunnel vision where that's all you see. And I think the church, or at least yeah. my church, didn't foster, one, a healthy view of human relationships, and two, didn't have a, a healthy view of shame and guilt. Uh, a healthy view, I'm throwing it out there, by all means disagree or clarify or nuance what I'm saying, mm -hmm. so I'll throw it to you guys, would be to understand, one, the shame, as, as Carl and I, uh, the mentioning of the nerve. It tells you something's wrong, and that's good. That can help kind of pinpoint something, help kind of clarify something. Um, but if you scratch it too much or you leave it untreated, it metastasizes and it gets worse and it becomes all you think about. And it, and it's you, you're literally doing everything you can not to think about it, but it's all you think about and it gets compounded and so on and so forth. And so um, I think a healthy church environment um, can be a really good place to begin the process of formation before you even get to the having a nerve, you'll be able to understand what the meaning of that nerve inflammation is. Does that make sense? Is that, am I making a little bit of sense with that? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's okay if I'm not, yeah. and it's okay to push back. I'm, I'm throwing it out there for conversation. Yeah, that makes sense. And on, on the note of shame, I'm trying to remember all the points from this book. But there's a good book I've read about that called The Soul of Shame by a Christian psychologist, psychiatrist. I don't remember which. I'm trying to remember all the guy's points. But it was very, uh, it was, drew a lot from the Bible about what the Bible, how the Bible talks about shame. A lot from like Genesis 3, I think, where you have Adam and, Adam, Adam and Eve feeling shame and kind of drawing on what that is. And also drawing from science and applying things well. Uh, so that that's a good, that's a good book to, to read. Um, if for anyone listening who wants to learn more about that sort of thing, I liked it. I don't know if anyone else here has heard of that book, but it's a good one. And I do agree with your points. Shame can be a good thing. Just, I mean, just like any other, just like regular physical pain, it can be a good thing, but also it can be a bad thing. It depends on why you're hurting. Yeah. I mean, if someone hurts you, that's bad. But if, if mm -hmm. there's pain coming from you, that, where there's no ex well noticeable external factor, you can look and be like, okay, something here is wrong or something here is off, and then you can begin the process of regulation. Um, 
I don't know. What What do you think, Carl and Zach, uh, or and Will? Of course, I'm 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 just throwing it out there. I tend to be far more of the persuasion that pain is just a tool. Uh, the way that we interpret pain is what is good and is what is bad. But pain is simply a tool to be used for our benefit and for either our benefit or our hurt, depending on how we interpret it. But yeah. The only thing I'll add about pain is I don't think that necessarily inherently all pain is bad because it can be used for good. I was talking with IP. He talked about this just a little bit yesterday regarding a different, completely different topic. Um, been kind of the idea of death before the fall and, I think that pain isn't necessarily inherently bad if it can be used for some sort of good. Like I think kind of the pains that we can go through in this life can actually point us to the idea that we wouldn't turn back to sin once we're reunited in heaven with God and we can realize like what it's like to be with him. And obviously there's so many different uh, theological questions that go go into that, but that's kind of just like a basic idea of how I view pain. Um, one thing I'd like to touch on is we're talking a little bit about outside influences because I think this is so, so important uh, for pe- first for people who are struggling because I think that um, with dealing with mental health issues, once we start to realize some of the outside factors that can cause uh, us or people to go further into, whether it's anxiety or depression or PTSD, it helps us realize how to cut th- these things out and to figure out like what to do. So I'm curious if you guys have any other like kind of outside factors that you think have been an important part of your struggle uh, with mental health. I can go. Um, I can just rattle off at least one like this. Just this one is like very profound, but not having a genuine mentor, a biblically based mentor in my life that can see how things are going and see and notice problems in my life that I'd be blind to was profoundly, profoundly impactful in my formulation. And honestly, that may not even be a, that's, that's simple. That's not just related to mental health, but that's a part of Christian life as a whole, finding a good mentor and have building relationship with them and making sure that you keep that relationship for as long as God is willing to have, willing to let you have it. Yeah, definitely. And also kind of bouncing off the mentorship thing for me, I think in particular, uh, one of the worst, one of the, one of the things that contributed most to kind of the buildup over time that led to a lot of my kind of uh, sudden collapse in early college mental health wise was um, I never really had, or if I had a role model for how to be like healthy, healthily vulnerable, if I had such a role model, it wasn't very clear to me and I never really saw it. And I was, especially as a guy who's been, you know, I've been very, very interested in math my entire life. I literally ended up with the nickname human calculator in like middle school, which I found very demeaning, but I didn't feel like I could say anything about it because I didn't know that I was demeaned because no one taught me to think about my emotions really. Or if someone tried, then it just didn't go through. So making sure that people, especially men, but women as well, understand that we need to think about what we're feeling and we need to sometimes we need to say things about it and you know it's okay to talk about those things that's something that took me quite a while to really to really learn the way that i need that i needed to learn it and unfortunately by the time i i did learn it 
some some stuff had already happened and then I had to work through all that. Yeah, and, and you add um what is it? I, I remember seeing something on, on the internet. Uh, the only appropriate time, uh, the only time it is appropriate for a man to cry is at the end of Armageddon. Normally people say Braveheart, but I think it's Armageddon. Or the birth of your first child. Uh, and ironically enough, I only cried at one of those. I'll, I'll let you guess which one. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm not going to say. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's something and to kind of pick up on what you were saying carl i think it's really profound is the idea of not just mentorship yes mentorship but not just mentorship but also the idea of a community of people that one will call you out being like hey like carl like i don't, I don't know um being a calvinist is sinful carl we're going to bring you back to the faith I'm, I'm kidding. but but having but having a, a group of people that can challenge you in a way that's healthy you know uh, whatever topic, whatever issue, whatever you're doing, and also have the the freedom that you give. So I want to stress that the eight, the freedom that you give to them to speak with authority into your life. Because there's, there, I'm I'm willing to let a lot of people speak in my life. I'm not willing to let everyone speak into my life. Because there's only so, there's only so many things my wife and I know about each other that I'm not willing to tell anyone else. You know, just as an example. But I think for a, a lot of young people especially a lot of young men there is not a sense of mentorship and there's also and that that leads to a sense of 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 kind of i think what you were getting at will and i think it's really really profound is the idea of worth do i feel worth or do i feel um worthy do i feel um like like and that's something that it mentioned too the idea of investment is someone willing to take the time energy and all of that to invest in me um and that carries with it a, a sense of pride it carries with it a sense of 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 love, of, of being uh, respected enough and loved enough to be um, treated as a peer. I mean, and stuff like that. Um, I think having a mentor, having a father or a mother in the faith or, or parents for that matter, having people that have your well-being in mind and are spiritually healthy and wise enough to speak into that with authority is, is so critical. And that's why, you know, if you have a single parent, you know, single mom, for example, it's vital that the church be involved in the, in the, um, in the life of the child or the children, you know, and also in her life as well. Everyone needs that sort of bedrock that they can turn to. And I think the church, or at least in the area I am, not at my church, I want to stress, my church takes this stuff very, very seriously. Um, I, I was actually very encouraged by my 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 pastor and uh, other staff members to go to therapy and stuff like that. So they actually told me to go, which or affirmed me in going, which was good. But the churches I'm in the area, it's if you look at the job description for a pastor, it looks like a CEO of a, of like a five a Fortune 500 company. There's no theological training. There's no um, theological education involved. There's no, there's nothing like that. You know, how, you know, can, can you, how do you pray for someone? How do you take someone out to coffee? There's ways of doing that well. Um, and I think having the church be a place that is emotionally, spiritually, and theologically healthy. And I don't mean, you know, conservative or liberal, but I'm talking about just health, you know, actually can actually hold conversations and be respectful of other people. Having the church be the place that can do that when the home isn't, or even especially if the home is, you know, you still it can't hurt to have spiritual grandmas and grandma, you know, grandpas, you know, but I think having that sort of, um, that sort of world, that sort of reality where, you know, if, 
you know, a parent does something wrong or a church member does something wrong, you have other people to go to. And a lot of people, especially young men, don't, I don't feel have that sort of thing. And that's why you see all sorts of, um, and I'm not saying it's the root cause or anything like that, but that's why you see people begin the spirals because they don't have, they don't have someone or they don't feel they have someone maybe is a better way of saying it. And that of course leads to problems of worth just to bring it all the way back around. No one loves me and no, and I'm not worthy. So um, just to kind of piggyback and expand on what you guys were saying, because I, I, I thought that was really, really helpful, at least for me, especially. Yeah. I just want to add a little bit, because I think all you guys hit this point really well is the importance of vulnerability, the importance of openness in these things and having people we can trust in the community, because I think for people who struggle with this, it's always so hard to open up about a struggle with anxiety or depression. Um, I know that for me, when I talk to people I care about, about like my struggles with anxiety, it was so hard for the first few words, but it's also so liberating the feeling when you can be completely vulnerable because when you're not vulnerable, you're just by, you're just living um, by yourself almost. You, it's so important that for people, if you're, if you struggled that you have someone to talk to. And if you're someone who isn't struggling with mental health, I'm statistics show you definitely know someone who does, even if you don't personally know that they do. And just to be someone who is open to whatever they have to say, I think people, especially towards their parents, don't want to disappoint their parents. So then they'll maybe hide something from them because they don't want to disappoint them. And I think that's not what parents want uh, is for them to hide things. And it's just important that we create these kinds of environments in the church and the family that are very open to these things and receptive to hearing uh, people who have their struggles. Yeah. And something I'll just toss onto that is it's great to be open about this stuff and it's great to be, you know, willing to hear people out. But something I've noticed about the church is that a lot, at least more and more we're getting to be at a spot where we are open about talking about these things like the church is open to talking about mental health at least at the moment but what the church isn't doing is it isn't actively pursuing people that may be struggling with this which as someone that's gone through it if i would have had someone that could that was actively pursuing me especially someone like a pastor someone that knew me that was i was in constant like community with having someone pursue me and actually show me that not just care about me and not just be willing to talk with me about that but actively showing me that they do care and they do love me would have had a profound impact on that because it's with mental health you don't want to open up about it it you only you open up when you feel like you have to it's not something you just I don't go around to the street screaming that I have depression because I don't feel like I have to. I don't feel like I should. But when I feel like, but you only open up about these, all that to say, you, when you feel like you have to open up about these things, that's when you do. So in pursuing someone like that, you bring up, the, these things are brought up and not just saying, hey, man, I want, I want to talk with you about this stuff. I think you could be struggling, but, at, but actively following up saying, hey, man, can we go get coffee and talk about literally anything just being intentional with the, with people that you think could be struggling with this yeah absolutely and just to give an anecdote that i think really reinforces some of the things you're just saying about how important like this vulnerability is and connecting with people over things i remember um when i became a christian was around the same time that i and was very very intimately connected with beginning to recognize the real depth of my mental health problems and the beginning of 
solving them really. And part of that for me later on, I had a, uh, I had a mentor. I, I went to InterVarsity and I had, to, I had a mentor who was another student who had gone through some struggles similar to mine. And uh, eventually about maybe six months or so after I started dealing with these things, uh, it came to the point where he and I thought it would be good for me to give it like a public testimony of like sharing about what had happened. And so we were on like a weekend retreat and I, you know, it was like the guys and girls went to their own places and to, to have like different, you know, like deep talk kind of time. And I gave my testimony there and I still vividly remember one of the guys there who was stoic like the whole time and later told me he didn't even want to be there after listening to what I was talking about, just started crying hysterically because he had unbeknownst to me or anyone else in the room, he had been through things almost identical to what I'd been going through. And he was also on the border of keeping or losing his faith. And so I ended up mentoring him and he's now a very, very strong Christian and a good friend. And so these sorts of things can, my, my main point with all that is these things are like, these can be really, really powerful. Like it can be, it, for some people, it can be a matter of coming to faith like it was for me or a matter of losing your faith in some cases, if you feel like God has abandoned you or something. That was another thing I had to struggle with, trying to understand why God let me, let the things happen to me that did happen to me. And I feel like I understand that better now, seeing, you know, how I've been able to help a couple of people in my own life, that some friends that have struggled with things. But I feel much better. I feel much more at peace about that now. But I mean, it's still really hard. And sometimes you're never going to see the reason. I'm not going to say there's always a reason that you can see at least. But we need to be able to come to a point where we can trust that, you know, God loves us and he's going to give us what we need even if it's not always going to be easy because we live in a pretty messed up world sometimes. Yeah. So what I'd like to do now uh, transition a little bit on, on these same topics is talk a little bit about like for people who are struggling, like what are some practical ways that you found that can be, can be little things that you have helped you fight these things? Cause I think obviously one of the most common misconceptions is like, mental health is like a cold where like you get it and then you get over it and you're just like totally free from it. Cause that's not, that's not how it works. Uh, so what, what, what's some of the, uh, some practical advice you could give to people who are struggling, whether it's little things or big things that have helped you guys, uh, through your struggles. I guess um, I can start since that's like the order that we're going in. Um, something that helped me a lot was being open. And like I said, actively seeking someone to keep, not just, not, not necessarily to keep me accountable, but to walk with me in it. And, but, on, but the best advice, like advice that I can give is that it's not, your responsibility to fix it um this is it's a le this is a lesson i've been constantly learning time and time again like throughout my life but and it, this is paul in this passage is talking about the church but 
it's a lesson that can that's certainly applicable to not just this situation but to tons of others but he said says in first corinthians 3 i meaning paul watered apollo or i planted paul apollos watered but it's god that gave the growth all it, your growth isn't your responsibility your healing and the joy that should come from your healing isn't a result of your work but it's a result of god's work the only thing that you're responsible responsible to do is to plant the seeds in water and trust in god that he will actually bring the fruit from that so that's the best advice that i can give you is when you feel like this you don't get down on yourself because you know that it's not it's not you that's actually healing yourself but stay encouraged that god is still working through it yeah yeah definitely uh one thing that kind of came to mind to me and connects with things that we were saying earlier is something i had to learn to do is to catch certain thoughts of my own uh like kind of going back to like the healthy and unhealthy shame and the like the worth and all of that um trying to recognize when i'm thinking i did something bad which I think would basically be the good kind, the, the the proper kind of shame, maybe is a better term. And then the I am bad thoughts, which is the bad kind that we, when you have mental health, you need to be able to, uh, or it really helps like when you're having that thought, just to be able to recognize I am having this thought right now, instead of just sitting in it and, you know, just being able to take a step backwards and say, you know what? I'm feeling depressed right now. That's something that's happening. Or I don't know, or like, hey, I am anxious right now. And to recognize that, you know, that's actually happening because you're not going to be able to do anything about it unless you can recognize it. Otherwise, I mean, how, how are you going to fix a problem that you don't even know is there? So being able to recognize, like maybe even the kinds of situations that make you feel a certain way. Like if it's an anxiety or a post-traumatic stress or certain other mental health uh, issues, there will be certain things that make it worse. Or maybe even depression. Maybe with depression, if you don't get enough sleep, it gets worse. Maybe if you get too much sleep, it gets worse. Maybe it gets worse if you don't eat enough. I don't know. It could be a variety of things for a, for a variety of people. And um, one thing for me going to scripture, and this verse is a lot in a lot of ways similar to the ones that Carl gave, something that was uh, always very powerful for me um, in dealing with these things is 2 Corinthians 12, uh, 9 through 10. And this is, uh, before this, Paul is talking about his thorn in the flesh, which uh, is, he doesn't make entirely clear what it is, but it's something that's really tormenting him, really, that he's really, really suffering with, and he's begging with God to take it away. And then he, and then he gets a response from Jesus in verse 9, which says, but he said to me, Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's response to that in 2 Corinthians is, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So that uh, was something that was really really impactful for me recognizing that 
these things actually aren't even all bad because God works through weak people all the time. In fact, those are basically the only kinds of people he does work through are weak people, weak and broken and shattered people. I mean, just read the Bible, like pick anyone. Like they're all messed up. They've done a lot of them have done horrible things. I mean, Moses and David were murderers, for example. I mean, you don't have to be like all put together for God to love you or use you. You you have enough with God's grace to get through whatever might be facing you. So that's uh that's some from me. Yeah, and and building on uh, both of what what both of you have said, uh, I I've been coming back. I, I started writing a book on theology and, and mental health and specifically from the perspective of pastoral ministry and all the stuff that pastoral ministry can do to you psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, and all of that. Um, but something I've been meditating on quite a bit are the uh, temptation narratives in the synoptic gospels. Uh, the fact that Jesus retreats or is driven into the wilderness or the desert and is kind of left to fend for himself. And my first thought was one that's really profound and really interesting for Christology, but also two, I'm not certain that's a model for how human beings are meant to deal with things. And part of the issue I see in, I would say, broader culture, which includes the church, is the inability for many people uh, to deal with uh, verbalizing something, how to actually express something in a positive, constructive way. As Will was saying, I am depressed. I am anxious right now. And for, uh, I assume for women as well, but for men, uh, there, there is a sense of to even say that is almost feels transgressive. It almost feels like you're admitting to something that is just really, really unhealthy. And it's like, well, it, if we think of it in terms of a confession versus just this admitting thing, uh, then maybe we're on a better track. But I, I think for a lot of us, even beginning to verbalize the process, verbalize what is being felt, uh, you know, even telling, I mean, it, it, and it's a different context. It's between friends, uh, between a pastor and and her, uh, her congregant or uh, in marriage, you know, it's, it's a, there are different dynamics at work, but um, for me personally, uh, it's taken a very long time to feel comfortable even telling my wife I'm depressed. Um, it's taken a very long time to even get to that point. And so uh, part of it needs, you need to have a sense of self where you feel comfortable expressing what you're feeling. And the second half is having someone that you can actually express it to that you trust. And those are two completely different things. Uh, but finding someone that you trust and are willing to say that to, uh, and I, the joke is a good friend or a spouse or, or a good pastor, uh, they know the worst parts about you and they don't use it against you. They know the best part, the worst parts about you, but they don't use it against you. You need to find someone or somebody's like that um, and find people that you trust to even begin to talk about it. And talking about it for a lot of people, I think a lot of people will be surprised. Once you're able to talk about it, it's the dam is broken. It, it becomes so much easier to talk. In fact, it, if you're like me, it, you, two hours later, you're still talking and your wife is looking at you like, oh my God, 
need to go to bed, you know, kind of thing. Uh, but having people that you trust, that you respect, that you know have your best interest in mind, that actually want you to heal and actually are invested in you, uh, it will, it'll save the world. Yeah, really good stuff, guys, you bring up here. A lot of great points. Uh, I think it's a good transition to kind of like the last segment that we had drawn up. And it's just a little bit of discussion about like what's mental health's role, um, or what's the church's role in dealing with mental health. Uh, so I think it'd be great if you guys could just share a little bit like in the churches you've grown up in, uh, what, 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 how did they kind of deal with mental health? And then how do you kind of view the role of the church um, regarding mental health and everything going on right now? Yeah, so the church I grew up in, uh, I honestly cannot think of any time that, like, it was really talked about. Maybe, I mean, I do have ADHD. Maybe I zoned out during it. Like, maybe I did. But it was certainly not, like, a big emphasis to the point where I can't miss it. Um, and even in, like youth ministry. I don't recall that kind of thing ever really being talked about. Um, churches that I went to after I went to college were a lot better about that kind of thing. Uh, and things have definitely continued to, I think in the church at large, I think things are in, in the direction of improving also in being able to, in being able to talk about these things. Um, and then what was the, the second part was, oh, what do they actually do? Or like, how do you see, like, how do you think the church could better assist in helping people with mental health? Or like, what do you think, the, what's the dream scenario in your mind of how we can, the church can be involved in this battle? Yeah, so I guess the dream scenario would be having a environment with groups that are, so, of course, I mean, you have your large worship services, but it's very important also to have smaller uh, smaller contexts, like small groups or Bible studies or whatever, where uh, where people will notice if something is going on and for people to have the awareness that mental health is a thing and to be looking out for it and to be looking out for each other. And if people seem to have a problem, then trying to you know talk about it, figure out what it is, help them in whatever way is necessary and it's not always mental health an analogy that i heard a while back i wish i had looked up who this is from because it's definitely not mine uh is uh the analogy of a for a like the soul uh the soul body thing uh, and i think it's great for looking at mental health is a piano and a pianist so in order for things to go well you need to be you need a good piano your piano needs to be working it needs to be tuned all the keys need to be there and you also need to be like the piano player needs to be know know how to play the piano. They need to be healthy, like no broken hands, no casts. Uh, if you need to use the pedal, then you need to have feet. Like both both ends of those things need to be working. And so when we recognize that something is going on, like someone looks, see, someone seems to be exhibiting a lot of depression uh, within the church, we need to be able to ask, like, is there some kind of a spiritual factor here? Is there some kind of physical factor here? Maybe it's both. And then just be honest about it and uh, help people find uh, professional help if uh, if they need it, which is nothing to be ashamed about. Um, that 
it seems like at least a kind of broad summary of what I think would be ideal and what I wish I had when these things were initially happening. Let's go to Carl, maybe, and then the wise words of the millennial pastor, Nick Quiet, who apparently isn't brave and just has it tattooed with a backwards weird Italian hat thing. He'll wrap things up. But Carl, your thoughts. Okay, so the absolute dream scenario is having pastors that are equipped to actually deal with this with their individual parishioners. But a far more applicable solution, if I could snap my fingers and have it happen, would be to teach this in seminaries. This is a genuine problem in the world, and each seminary should have at least some form of class on how to deal with mental health issues. Also, having pastors in a partnership with Christian um, counselors is would be profoundly, profoundly beneficial for people. If someone comes to a pastor and says, hey, I'm struggling with this, the pastor says, great. Here's someone that I trust immensely. You can trust them. They're tr literally trained their whole life to help you with this exact scenario. Let's the three of us meet together, and then I'm going to leave you two to meet together, and then just send them on their way, and they can just... Mm. That'd be, that'd be amazing. Um, as to my background in the church and what they hold, what and that whole thing, um, I guess I'll touch on this just quickly. But I was raised Catholic. Um, the only interaction that I had with a with a pastor priest was a like ten minute uh, ten minute homily, which is a, which is a sermon each Sunday, and then shaking his hand and walking out the door. That's the only interaction that I had with the pastors, and there was absolutely no even mention of mental health at any point within that. So, yeah. In addition to both of those, um, I think uh, in, at Fuller, uh, they do have courses on this uh, and stuff like that. So I didn't take them because I, I, I did an academic masters i didn't i try not to take anything that would make me feel uh so yeah, say that now but it's like that would have been a great class but anyway uh something i think that would be really really helpful for folks uh would be for the church to have a truly human christology and what i mean by that is not an exclusively human christology but a Christology that is preached and lived where Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh, came in the form of a slave, made his home among us, knows what it's like in every way to be human, uh, is infused into literally every part of our church. And so uh, having people that are educated on mental health issues, depression, anxiety, people that a pastor can go to, like Carl said, and be, I trust this person. Have you met so-and-so? And then there you go. Uh, but I think having a church that recognizes, one, the identification of what it means to be human is something that Jesus participated in fully. And if you believe Jesus participated in every aspect of human life, even the ones we find weird, even the ones we don't understand, then you're going to have a very high view of the human person. You're going to see them as someone that is worthy of dignity and respect and also of treatment if need be. And having a Christology that is lived and preached where Jesus Christ is both human and divine helps us to recognize the issue of mental health. 
we, we don't neglect the flesh. We don't neglect the body or the mind. In fact, because Jesus came to redeem it, so too do we in working to heal it. And there's a great tradition, at least in the early church fathers, of Jesus being the great healer, being the great balm of the human soul. And I think we kind of replace that because we're looking for easy solutions of sin and guilt. And I think those are true, sin and guilt. But we also forget that Jesus Christ came to take away not only death, but also the mental capacity that makes us fear death. Hebrews talks about that. Paul talks about it. The corrosiveness of the human mind, the, uh, the fear of this or that, the feeling of not being valued, the feeling of all of those sorts of things. And having a Christology, ironically enough, an Orthodox Christology helps us to look both at the human need of the mind and of the heart and of the soul and all of that helps us, I think, get a better sense of what Jesus cared about. Jesus came to save us, but while he was going to the cross, he went around exercising demons and healing women and putting his hands on people and feeding people. And I think the church often sacrifices the human body for fire insurance. And I think the church needs a, if we had a more robust, educated Christology that took seriously the human predicament, not just with sin, but with everything, then I think we'd see a lot more of this stuff being addressed fully. In addition to what Carl and Will have said, I'm, I'm not saying it to the exclusion of that. In fact, I think all of this together, a church would be, uh, well, the church has got a nice little mission statement right there. Awesome, guys. Uh, we do have one question. I'll throw it at Nick just because Nick's the pastor here, uh, kind of relates to that. Um, it's from Kara 4K. Uh, it says, how should people who are dealing with mental health struggles go about reaching out to the church? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, it almost feels stupid, but uh, as a pastor, I, I, I don't know what's going on in everyone's head. Um, God didn't give me the gift of uh, omniscience. And so I can read you know, the joke is I can read, I can look at entrails on the ground to borrow an old cultic analogy. I can look at the entrails on the ground, but I have no idea what it's saying. You know, it's a terrible joke. Um, I can look at you and I can see, you know, Carl or Will and be like, yeah, they, they look kind of sad. But for all I know, the coffee was cold. You know, or the donuts were stale. I, I don't, I can't read into it. The only thing I can do is reach out. Um, and, but I think what we talked about earlier, um, a pastor uh, has a responsibility to create an environment where someone coming forward would feel heard and welcomed. Um, and I think going that route helps us kind of at least get a sense of the environment or the culture that needs to be created to where someone would feel comfortable, like Will or Carl, coming up to me, hey, can we get coffee? Because I can invite you to coffee, um, but I know it's serious if you want to invite me to coffee. You know what I mean? And that's not, I'm not putting the burden on the person to say, you know, oh, you have to be the one to reach out. Um, just recognize for, for, minister, for people in ministry, it's often really difficult. And you also run the risk of overreading someone, you know, uh, and you don't want to make someone feel uncomfortable. And so it's, it's a very sensitive and delicate thing. I haven't honestly figured out how to balance it. Um, but just trying to communicate to people that you're open, that you care, that you're willing to listen. Um, that you're willing to take the time. I, I think, as we Carl mentioned earlier with mentors, uh, just being willing to take the time for someone, I think, goes a long way. Uh, thank you for your question, Kara. 
so one more time, we'll go around the circle counterclockwise. And if you guys have any kind of like closing thoughts, things we didn't touch up on, anything you want to say here, um, speak now or forever hold your peace. Uh, unless you're Carl or Nick, they'll be debating the women pastor thing on Thursday. But if you, any closing thoughts, guys? Yeah, I guess one thing that is um, something that probably needs to be uh, worked on and would be would be helpful. Well, I guess two things uh, for both addressing Kara's question and just you know general church health and everything is uh, one thing is uh, reaching out. One way to reach out to people is just you know be open yourself. Like thinking through my own experiences and those of my friends every single time someone has had a big like improvement in vulnerability in their mental health was as far as I, it was directly connected with someone else being open about their own experiences. Like for me, the first time I was ever really like I, one of my biggest breakthroughs in my own overcoming of mental health and like the moment that I came to Christ as well was listening to uh, the guy who would become my mentor, but who I didn't even know at the time talk about his struggles with depression and hearing him talk about that. And it was also the first time he told anyone about any of these things. And that just, you know, that opened my heart to share, even though I was terrified of doing so. And the story I told earlier, same thing. Uh, lots of other, there are, I mean, pretty much everyone I can think of who had some kind of major mental health struggle, knowing that someone else has it too is really, really helpful. And it helps the person feel like they have someone they can talk to. And the second thing I had in mind was just understanding what they are better. Like, for example, the one that I can do the best with is ADHD. Uh, when most people think of ADHD, they just think of people zoning out and being like hyper and running around all the time. That's not really what it is. That, that can be part of it, but there's also, I don't know if you deal with this, Carl, but hyperfocus, which is exactly the opposite of that. I don't, I don't know. I don't, yes. Yeah. Like you know, give an example of what that, like, whereas the losing the zoning out thing is like, you want to pay attention, but you are unable to pay attention. Hyperfocus is like, you cannot stop paying attention to this one, even mm -hmm. if you wanted to. Like, for example, while I was in college, there would be times when like, I would sit down, like intending to do like maybe an hour of homework and then go get lunch. And then instead I do homework for seven hours and I forget lunch and I almost forget dinner just because like I get into it. I'm doing yeah. good homework. I'm on a roll. And then like six hours just goes by and I don't even, I like, I like legitimately yeah. am not aware. Like if you had asked me, I would have thought it had been an hour, but it had been seven. Mm -hmm. So those, that also happens and not realizing that ADHD has these variations within it and connections to a lot of other mental disorders too. A lot of people with ADHD have depression. A lot of people have anxiety. A lot of people have other things, substance abuse, even ADHD, I believe increases the likelihood of substance abuse problems. So just learning more about what these things actually are, uh, I think would be immensely, immensely helpful. Absolutely. No, but, um, like my Zach, Zach will attest to this. Like, so sometimes I'll sit down and I'll, I'll do like, I'll write maybe a page over five, some hours, a page of an essay over five hours. Other times I'll 
write three essays in the span of 20 minutes. Like there's like two absolute, like just polar opposites. And it's something that's interesting because it's very close to bipolar disorder, which is something that I've been mm-hmm. seriously considering for a while because that is um, ADHD and depression when it's um, so expressed like that can sometimes be bipolar disorder because a lot of times what people think about bipolar disorder is that it's happiness and sadness but no it's actually depression and mania which mania is that elevated sense of i can accomplish anything i can take the world take the world on the world is my oyster and everything like that and you are on cloud nine with that sense so that and it's that and then absolute deepest depression. So it's not even happiness, but it's motivation in a sense. So yeah. that's something I've been trying to yeah, the inability to control which one you're in. And I would say with ADHD, you have like I feel I feel as if yes. I have absolutely no control over over whether I'm in hyper focus mode or if I'm in zoning out mode. Like I, I literally cannot like choose this. Mm-hmm. Like most people, I mean most people's everyone zones out sometimes, everyone gets a little over focused sometimes. But with the way that I think about ADHD and the way I usually explain it is like uh, my extremes are a lot further and I have a lot less control over my own Mm. ability to focus on things. And there are lots and lots of consequences of that. Like a lot of people end up with a lot of self-esteem issues because of that, because they get told that they're like a, like if you're growing up and you have ADHD, then you will, you'll probably be seen as like a rebellious child. And you'll be treated as one. And like you don't feel like you're rebelling. You're just doing stuff. You're just like sitting there. Yeah. And then people yell at you for not listening to them. And that can really do a number on how you see yourself. And so yeah. there are lots and, like and that gets into the depression. You you can go through whole books of just like what happens sociologically and psychologically to people who have various problems and just recognizing like yeah this is incredibly complicated and we don't we don't want to oversimplify it to like oh yeah you just have an unrepentant sin in your life like no that's i mean maybe you do but that's probably not all there's probably a lot of things happening mm-hmm. and then that whole sense of that of having no grace in a fa- familial relationship with your parents if they sense that and you you don't know what you're doing you're just you know, chilling, uh, zoning out. You don't know that, oh, wait, I actually did something wrong. I didn't actually, I wasn't actually paying attention. And then immediately you're just railed on for doing, for just living. And that does lead into a sense of depression and self, like just absolutely hating yourself for not, not even knowing what you did wrong. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, very and like yeah, it's fascinating. I have features, but you know, I mean, if if someone calls your name ten times and you don't respond, they're going to get a little frustrated with you. And yeah. even and as a child, you're so impressionable that if you don't understand why they're getting frustrated, then that's going to hurt. And there are lots and lots and lots of situations that can come. And with other, I'm sure with other disorders too, other people could like list other things that are like that where people just don't the two people on the two ends of the communication are just not thinking the same thing and there's just not an understanding of what's happening and that can that kind of thing can cause a lot of problems as well all right we'll turn this thing to 
the not brave but brave tattooed on his arm, Pastor Nick. Uh, any last thoughts, Nick, before we wrap things up here? Um, no, it's it's. I, I think Will is right. There's so much. It's it's almost like the, um, the like the great hero in the movie Titanic. You know, the iceberg, right? You have this little bit up here, and then you've got a mountain of stuff underneath. And you can chip away at the top, but it it just keeps keeps rising and rising and rising, and uh, and it and it killed Leo when except Leo didn't have to die because MythBusters proved he didn't have to die. But I think for a lot of us, there's a sense in which being afraid of how deep the rabbit hole goes, and not being certain where this all goes. Uh, but I think looking at everything together, I think being willing to be vulnerable with people is kind of the takeaway I want people to, to remember. Um, if people want to reach out to me, I mean, I'm not trained in any of this. Um, I can listen. I'm told I'm an okay listener. I'm sure you can reach out to Carl, Carl or Will or Zach. And, you know, sometimes it's just having a community of people that you can talk to. Um, I'm not volunteering you guys if you don't want to. I'm just saying, find, find, you know, find you someone that looks at them the way Carl and I look at each other when we talk about Tulsa. Like find yourself someone, find yourself someone like that, you know. Uh, and I've been meaning to do this. I have a blog where I do apolog write about apologetics and math stuff and mental health stuff sometimes. And I'll give Zach. I need to give you the link for that website. People can email me. Actually, have it. I'll put it in the live chat. And I think I missed it in the video description somehow. Somehow I forgot about you. But I'll make sure I'll put it in the description as soon as we wrap things up here. And I'm kind of hurt about the salsa thing, but. You know, well, I'll give you my recipe for uh, for my smoked uh, beer, don't, bacon, macaroni, and cheese. So, don't even bother. Just don't even bother. Don't don't. I'll send you some craft, Zach. I'll send you some. Craft. Don't give him any recipes. <laughs> it's not going to work. Yes, <laughs> that actually carried me and Zach in college. Craft mac and cheese. Woo! Oh yes, that that worked so well. And some yeah. um, microwavable brownies. Yes. Oh God. Yes. Uh, those, as those, a cook, uh, I, I can't. All right, guys. This has been a lot of I fun. myself, it hurts. Dude, I'm, I'm not even I'm cooking. looking forward to once this is done. I've got Bible study at 630. I still got to make the PowerPoint for that on Zoom. Then I get to go bake something after as a complete decompression of the work week. So you have no idea how happy I, how much a good mood I'm in right now. And it's not even salsa related. Like if I'm making salsa, my life would be like just the bee's knees at this point. Hmm. Uh, a wise man named Hayden Clark once said ramen. And I think that sums everything up here right now. Uh, guys, it's been a lot of fun. I'm Everyone go follow Nick, go follow Carl, go follow Will. All their links will be in the description. Uh, been fun guys thanks for doing this really great conversation lots of good stuff i think people are going to take some stuff away from this they're all if you're listening to the podcast they're all like doing like i don't even know how to describe it they're giving thumbs up basically all right thanks for tuning in everyone uh love you all god bless